Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. I'm Tara McBride. It's May, and we certainly couldn't let the month pass without a podcast about Mother's Day. Ely, Alicia, and I got together to talk about the history of Mother's Day and how we celebrate it, both with our children and our own mothers. But the conversation quickly turned to what it's like to be a working parent and the things nobody told us about motherhood including what maternity leave in the United States is actually like. Whether you're a mom gearing up for your special day or you are in your pre-family working years, there's a little something for everyone in this episode. So here it is, the Mother's Day episode for A Little Louder Now. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. All right, ladies, so today we're talking about Mother's Day. Yes. I'm very excited about this because I've recently become a mother. So I think that Mother's Day is very interesting in terms of the dichotomy between what it meant pre-being a mother and what it means now as a mother. So um, Tara, lay on some facts for me, please. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Mother's Day is actually one of the only holidays that's celebrated internationally, which I found very interesting. It, it was actually started uh, in the late 1800s by a really great woman named Anna Reeves Jarvis from West Virginia. So she created these work clubs for mothers, and it was just a way for moms to connect with each other, share ideas, you know, not unlike a Pinterest board (laughs) of the 1800s. And out of that spawned a, quote, Mother's Friendship Day. And the purpose of that day was really about promoting reconciliation between Confederate or former Confederate and Union mothers. You know, no big surprise that it's women who were trying to push for peace. Bridge the gap, if you will. Bridge the gap. (laughs) Um, And so over time, Anna's, excuse me, Anne's daughter, Anna Jarvis, actually pushed for a formalized Mother's Day. And she campaigned for, I think it was about three years. And after three years, 46 states had adopted it. And um, Woodrow Wilson ended up declaring the second Sunday in May, officially Mother's Day. I was actually, I, I was surprised and should not have been that there was actually resistance to a formalized Mother's Day by some senators. Um, (laughs) Insert eye roll here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was considered trite and unnecessary, but good old Anna kept pushing and she, she won. But I also found it very interesting that toward the end of her life, Anna fought against Mother's Day because of its commercialization. Right. Yes. Right. I thought I thought this whole thing was very interesting because Anna basically put Mother's Day into effect to honor her own mother, mm-hmm. Anne. And so it was basically like a part of the grief process for her was to get this approved and made into law and, and legit, if you will. Right. So, and then it became very commercialized. And she, toward the end of her life, was like, this is stupid. Yeah. I, this is totally not at all what I wanted. And it's mockery of what it initially was and so then she campaigned against Mother's Day to basically stop the commercialization which it is now very commercial. Uh, they call it a Hallmark holiday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Instead of it's actually a day that you should be honoring your mother and the women in your lives. And I, I just think it's it's interesting that it happened that fast. In her lifetime, right. it went from being what it was supposed to be to a commercialized holiday to the point where she was so disgusted with it that she didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. It just shocking. Shocking <laughs> to me. Yeah. But I mean, I think that it did show that 
people wanted to celebrate moms and the things that they do. And uh, I, I mean, I, I've talked to you both about this before, but Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, these these days to me feel uh, I don't I don't agree with having these formalized days just because I feel like not the commercialization aspect of it. I mean, I am a consumer. I love to shop and I love to shower gifts on family and friends. But for me, it's just very strange that we would say on this particular day, mom is special and mom is going to be celebrated. And, you know, every other day of the year, it's sort of like, Meh, whatever about mom or whatever about my significant other. And I just feel like instead of having this big, huge, you know, I think the average amount that people spend on their moms now for Mother's Day is like $180 between, it's a lot of money, (laughs) between flowers and brunch or whatever. I I need to do better. Sorry, Connie. Um, but yeah, I, it's we spend a lot of money, but instead of spending money on one day, I feel like there's more that we could do throughout the year. Just to acknowledge mom, call her when you think about her or go visit her more often. You know, now that I'm getting to a point in my life where, I, I mean, I have a seven-year-old, I'm in my 40s. You know, my parents, our our mortality generally is becoming more obvious to me. And so I'm taking more time to be with my mom. And, you know, even though my blood pressure goes up whenever we're around each other, we do love each other very much and we get along very well. And, you know, I need to spend more time because it just is so fleeting. It goes Mm -hmm. so fast. So anyway, I'm trying. I'm, the point is that I just feel like Mother's Day should be more often than it just, just be one, one day. day. Or you should appreciate your mothers and fathers for that yes. matter every day of the year, if you or as often as you can. It shouldn't just be okay. This one day I'm gonna appreciate you, and the rest of the year you're out. Right, like, chop liver. Right. So that's my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. So Keely, how do you celebrate Mother's Day? And tell tell us about being a mom. Like, what kind of mom are you? How many kids do you have? So I have two, mm-hmm. two kids, a girl and a boy. My daughter is 14. My son's 10. So uh, I'm at the point that my uh, daughter is pretty much my best friend. So that uh, works out really well for me. Yeah, at 14, too. It's really yeah. unusual that you could I be was not my mom's close. I know. Neither was I. <laughs> that, that's, I, was, I was terrified that, that I was going to have that sort of relationship yeah that's you know everything when you're when you're a teenage girl you just sometimes lash out at your mom Mm -hmm. and I'm very fortunate that I don't have that so well I have to say I I don't know your mom so I don't we need to say anything about your mom but just working with you you're such a calm even keeled kind of person yeah and I think that goes a long way in you know trans translating that to your kids so that they reflect it back to you not to say that you know we have don't have bad days or anything like that but I feel like it's a testament to you as a mom and how you interact with your child that you're at you know these dreaded teenage girl years and you're getting along really well with your daughter that's amazing yeah really how we celebrate is it's usually just uh our family my husband and my kids and I um and then we'll take his mom or my mom out for brunch or something like that but the day is really at this point in time he he makes it a huge deal for me mm-hmm. and this year we're actually I'm going to take my daughter to her first concert this year so what concert Evanescence oh my god yes. <laughs> We are super excited. I'm super excited. I'm not even going. <laughs> so yeah, that that it it's as soon as it came up, she missed. We
we missed them last year because I didn't realize they were here. So it was just one of those things this year. It was like I saw them and they're coming and I was like, oh, we got to go. <laughs> Plus they're at Robert Morris's new event center. So oh, I get yeah. to go and check that out too. Yeah. Well, let us know about the acoustics. I will definitely that's do that. That's very important. <laughs> I'm a Bobby Moe fan. I am a Bobby Moe grad. So that's definitely something I want to yeah. go through and do. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Alicia, how do you celebrate Mother's Day, and what kind of mom are you? I I don't know what that means. What it means like that means like well, am I, I angry? No, no, no. <laughs> meaning that there, I I just think that we're recognizing more and more that there are lots of different ways ah, to be a mom. Okay. You're not so, necessarily you don't necessarily give birth to your children, or yeah, yes. it's just all right. I am I am a different kind of mom. Yes, yes, I have. A daughter who is not biologically mine, but she is mine. And I have a son who is biologically mine and my boyfriend. So Mother's Day for me is, it's nice. Like, they make breakfast. They, I don't have to do anything. It's my day. Mm -hmm. If I want to take a nap, I get to take a nap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Naps are like know, gold. Right? <laughs> we usually go out to dinner. You know, I don't really ask for gifts, but one year I got a nook for oh. Mother's Day, which was... You're, you're an avid reader, so yes. that's like the that perfect was, gift. Jeff regretted that, like <laughs> almost immediately, because he was like, I, I love that you're using it so much, but can you can you pay attention to me? No, I was, I'm kidding. But they usually just, you know, flowers, and we, we go for a walk, and it's usually nights out, so we do something mm -hmm. outside, because I enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And so it's just it's just a chill day. We, we try not to make it chaotic mm -hmm. with too much, but as... As you said, as my mom's getting older, my mom is like, she's going to be 71 this summer. It makes you think of her mortality and like, how many more Mother's Days am I really going to get? Right. And it's sad. So, and it's it's really hard. Mm -hmm. So, um, I try to include her as often as possible in things. So, we'll probably involve her in Mother's Day dinner. Mm -hmm. My sister lives about an hour away, so we usually plan like a lunch where we all get together for Mother's Day with all of her grandkids and it's chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet she loves she it. She loves it. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the babies. Yeah. Like, she's about it. Yeah. So um, that's usually what we do. Like, it's not a big thing. But mm -hmm. um, I will say that Jeff does not only just recognize me on that day. He recognizes me throughout the year. So, you know, he comes home randomly if I've had a tough week with flowers or like a bottle of wine mm -hmm. or let's eat out. We've had a tough week. Where do you want to get food from? Yep. So, you know, food is the way to my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he knows that very well. Amen. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's sort of our day. And it was, it was interesting because, because I'm not my daughter's biological mother, I never had her for Mother's Day, which I never wanted her for Mother. Like that is her Mother's Day. Sure. I know that I'm not her mother. I'm not trying to replace her mother. So it was always a very sad day for me because I, I am a mother to her, but I am not her biological mother and therefore don't get her that day mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And so it was always just kind of like a, a day of loss, mm -hmm. if that if that makes sense. It just felt, well, you have a connection with her and you do, you are a yes. mother to her, and, which, you know, how lucky is she that she gets to have two moms that love her mm -hmm. so much. But I think it's a, you know, again, a testament to you that you're, Thank you me. understand there are boundaries to not being the biological mother, and if the biological mother is still in the picture, that yeah. that's her day. And yeah, you that's know, difficult. 
When Elena was younger, she would call me mommy, and I, I was like, sweetheart, I love you, but I don't think your mom would appreciate that. Like, I, I don't want to step on your mom's toes. Like, it's difficult having both of us in the picture enough. Let's not muddy the waters yeah. by adding that in. And so I try to keep my place, quote-unquote place. I try to make sure that the line is there so that her mother is respected, at, because she is her mother. Mm-hmm. But the older she gets, the more the lines bleed. And Well, that's and that's her choice. Right. I feel like if it you're... It is her choice. If you're establishing the boundaries or what you say is kind of appropriate or respectful, Mm -hmm. then as she gets older and and understands things in a more complex way, she gets to choose how she interacts with that or how she, you know, blurs those lines. So that's that's amazing right. that she's making the choice to be more entrenched with you. And right. I, but it's, it's a great feeling, but it's also sad, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like I, I don't ever want her mom to feel like I'm taking her away from of her. Course, yeah. And I'm, I'm not intentionally. Everything that is done is Elena's choice. She chooses where she wants to be on what days. She doesn't really get a choice on Mother's Day yet. She goes to her mom. Sure. These are t- difficult um, relationships to navigate, and I just don't know. <laughs> not everybody. It's really hard. Gets, I'm, uh, I am not going to sugarcoat that. And for the other stepmothers or adoptive mothers with the biological mother still sort of in the picture or whatever, whatever American family, because that's what the American family is now, whatever conglomeration of that you are, I'm with you. Like I, it is hard. It is really hard. But the bottom line of it is that it's not about you and you need to put your pride aside, even when it's very difficult to do so and think about what's best for the kid, because you're going to ruin, you're going to ruin everything if it's all about you, you know, and it's, and it's not, and I'm tearing up right now. I know. Across your cheeks, like you're, you are so sensitive. Yeah, but, and this but like, is a very sensitive topic. It, but it's difficult. It's a hard thing to talk about because it, it was very difficult initially. When it first happens, and you know, if you're a mother listening to this, and you've gone through a divorce, and your ex-husband has now brought another woman to the picture, give her a chance. You know, let her let her show you who she is before you know and i would say that to the to the new girlfriend as well give the mom a chance like you guys can work together and be a support system like you can be a benefit Mm -hmm. the situation can be a benefit to your daughter or it can be a detriment Mm -hmm. and you get to decide what it is don't decide in 30 seconds right let it sit because divorce is really hard i've never been divorced but i was present shortly thereafter with the aftermath and it's very emotionally difficult and you don't want to make decisions emotionally emotionally that are going to impact the next 10 years of the relationship you have with your kid or 18 or however old they are at the time. Right. You don't want to be that one that you're the reason they can't get together. Yeah. You know, so I always in those moments when I wanted to make it about me was like, this is, this is not about me. This is not about me. And it's so simple, but it's so hard. Mm -hmm. It can be very difficult, but it's really rewarding too. Mm -hmm. It's a tough situation for everybody including your children and now and now that we've added my son into the mix he asks well where's sissy mm-hmm. and he's not old enough to understand that she has a different house too but you know i i tell him you know, she's with her mommy she's a different mommy mm-hmm. and he's like okay you know <laughs> more snacks please yeah <laughs> yeah too yeah <laughs> like when do i get a second mom as well yeah mm-hmm. no when do i get one who gives me more chocolate milk? <laughs> so yeah it's difficult having that difference you know but in terms of the my treatment of my children people would tell me when i was when i was pregnant with him oh you're gonna get a taste of what motherhood is like and that made me so angry yeah like even well-meaning people that love me a lot like my mother 
to bring this full circle, said things like that, you know, oh, now you're going to get a taste of what, what real motherhood is like, you know. And that just made me feel like I wanted to claw out her eyes. Yeah. And everybody who said that, because it was like, but I have had a taste of what motherhood is like. Exactly. For four years. Yeah. Even though I didn't buy I wasn't there when she was born. She is my daughter, and I love her the same. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, and I can tell you, there is no difference. And I was thinking about this prior to recording this. There's no difference to me in the way that I love my children as my son versus my daughter. Like, I don't love, I don't love her less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm... In fact, you've had more time with her. Right. Not to say that you would love her more, but you've had no. more time to form and bond with her than you have your son. Yes. And I, I think that there are, there are challenges to being a stepmom because, you know, for example, she's getting to the age where she's just going to have some changes to her body. And like, do I have that conversation? Does her mom have that? Who has that conversation? Is it right for me to have that conversation? Like, maybe we should talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Things that if you... Let's strategize. If you weren't a biological mother, you would never think about. You'd be like, okay, well, I need to tell her about this. The talk. For me, there's always that extra layer of, okay, whose appropriate role is it to do this? And how do I approach that conversation so it is successful? Because, again, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a difficult situation, but we're making it. And, you know, we're chugging along. And, and she she spends Mother's Day with her mom, but then she comes, you know, that evening to me. And, you know, she's made her mom go buy me a card or something. Aww. And I'm like... Oh my god! <laughs> she does, but she doesn't understand that that could could be not cool. <laughs> but she doesn't get it. Although so. you know, kind I kind of love that she doesn't yeah. acknowledge that there's a there's a divide of any sort, right? Like oh. she's just like you're my mom, and this is my mom, and my mom should celebrate you too. And she just I love the innocence of that reaction to the situation. Well, just to jump in with my please, Mother's please Day celebration. Tell me, yeah. you do. <laughs> I, I, again, I just don't do very well with organized holidays, so I just, I, I don't even really know when Mother Day, Mother's Day is going to hit, and then it's, it's happening, I'm like, oh my god, I need to get a gift for my mom or something, so, I mean, we don't really do a whole lot, I think it's very similar to what you both do, which is just, just a day where mom gets to make the choices, so I usually get breakfast in bed, uh, I get to sleep in, I think last year I got to actually read my newspapers, Ooh. which I never get to do, <laughs> I know, um, so it's kind of like, whatever I want to do, we get to do and usually what I want to do is chill out with the family, go for walks, go to the park, yeah, anything. Not restaurant related. So usually it's like they make me breakfast or um, CJ, my husband, will make me dinner. And he's, he's very good at c- cooking a vegan cuisine, which is generally my diet. So he'll make me whatever it is that I want. And, um, you know, I get to sleep in and just take a nap if I want to take a nap and nobody questions my choices, which is really nice. So the bottom line is sleeping in and natural. Oh my gosh. Yes, that's totally. Sleeping that's in is great. Food. All the sleep. Food. food of and some nap. kind. And yeah. it doesn't have to be like at a restaurant. No. You can just do whatever. Yes. yes. <laughs> I actually prefer to eat at home. It's easier. Me too. Yes. It's, it's easier for me. I'm more comfortable. I can, like, lounge in my sweatpants. It's less expensive. Yes. yes. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons to not go out mm-hmm. for these holidays. Although I will tell you, my husband takes me to Ditka's every year for Mother's Day for brunch, and they have a phenomenal lobster omelet that I Oh, my I love. gosh. So, lobster omelet? <laughs> it is so <laughs> good. More. It, is, it has the <laughs> biggest lobster claws you'll ever see. It, 
all baked into the omelet itself. So oh my gosh. yes, I have to, that's like the one thing that I like to do. We go, we go there. We usually go early enough where we beat most of the people. Yeah. So, um, but we don't do dinner out. Like dinner is yeah. at home. I'm not vegan. I'm anything, but yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> you pick up the slack for my diet. Yeah. You're, you're vegan. I'm carnivore. So it's all, um, but he'll usually make the, uh, big steaks on the grill and uh, all this stuff. And he's like, you're not allowed to do anything. Like I'll do it all. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can just sit and read my book and not have to worry about that. Yeah. Every once in a while we do dirt therapy though. So dirt therapy yeah. is, you know, planting all of your stuff because Mother's yeah. Day is. We go and every year or every other year we go and we get a big truckload of plants and dirt and mulch and all of that and I get to plant. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it sounds like work, but when it's something that you really love and you, you get to enjoy, you know, beyond just the activity of actually gardening, that it's totally worth it. I, I just, I sometimes think of like, you know, 25 year old me being like, oh, you know, to relax, I read the newspaper. 25 year old me would be like, what is wrong with you? You're so boring. I know, you're just the worst. But 25 year old me got to sleep until 9am without trouble mm -hmm. and take naps whenever I wanted. So yes. the trade off, uh, you know, to have the funniest person I've ever met as my daughter uh, is totally worth the uh, non napping that comes with motherhood. So to shift gears just a little bit, I, you know, I think a lot about why I became a mom. Uh, and I have to say that I spent the majority of my life thinking that I never would be a mom, not because of any physical reasons, but just because I didn't want to. And, you know, even, even well into my relationship with my husband, we've been together for 15 years. He basically just was like, you know, I want to be with you. I would love to have children, but it's not necessarily what I want. Uh, I want to be with you, which was right. am amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so he basically put me in the driver's seat of the kid, you know, kid situation. Ultimately, eventually, after we had been married for a few years, I decided that it was something I wanted and that I, but only because of him, because I had a relationship with this particular person that made me feel safe and supported and like I had a partner. So that's when I said, all right, you know, this is something that I could, I, I think I could do. And I, I remember I, I thought that I was pregnant at one point and then I wasn't and I had even taken a test and it was a false positive which I thought was not possible but anyway it was false positive at that point when I found out that I wasn't pregnant I got disappointed and that's mm -hmm. when I was like okay I am all in on this <laughs> this is great it's kind of hard to be like all right I'm gonna experiment and see if I really want to be a mom and then you have a kid and you're like oh no that wasn't the right that right choice so <laughs> But I, I definitely had the, the yeah, I, I knew it was what I wanted when I, I, I missed that opportunity. So um, when we did find out we were pregnant, we were elated, obviously. And my parents and his parents, who both had basically written us off as parents, you know, they, they just assumed. I, I think they were the, ecstatic. They were ecstatic. I think the quote from his mom through tears was, I just didn't think it was in the cards. And so <laughs> it was just, that was all very exciting that they got into it. But I am curious how each of you, did you always know that you wanted to be a mom, Keely? No. <laughs> so talk about that. Like, I, definitely, I definitely was not, uh, like when I was a teenager, I was like, I'm never having kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, my sister had my nephew relatively young and uh, I was like, nope, I'm good. I don't need any kids. Um, You'll be the best aunt ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Dan and I dated for a long, we had a very long, long courtship. courtship. Thank you. I couldn't <laughs> think of the word. I was, there were other words going through my head, but it wasn't courtship. But, um, <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, courtship sounds much better. But we had dated pretty much for about seven years before we ended up getting married. We got married. So, I mean, we never ta really talked about kids. Shortly after we were married, I had a miscarriage and I actually didn't even know I was pregnant. We weren't trying. We weren't not trying. Yeah. It was just one of those things. But it that moment was just one of the things that it was like, oh my God, now I, I don't have this. I didn't know I wanted this, but I wanted this. Yeah. And then we waited for a couple years and uh, then we had my daughter. So uh, we realized we wanted to be married together for just a couple years, even though we dated for a long time. Right. We didn't live together during that time. So that was the thing. We wanted to live together and kind of understand what was going on. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind of just us <laughs> together. Um, and then my daughter was born and uh, it was the best thing ever. And then we were like, we want one more. We didn't, we didn't care. My husband's family has this weird thing with the three Ds as initials. So they weren't allowed to, he wasn't allowed to uh, name Sierra. Sierra's obviously not a D. Um, so, but he, um, I said, you have your chance. You can name the girl because we have the girl first, or you can, we can try again and you can have a boy. And then the three Ds would stay that she has a chance to change her name. And um, he laughed about that. He goes, okay, let's, let's name her whatever you want to name her. So her name's Sierra Jade. So that was, he, but he and I had a spent forever figuring out the name <laughs> of Sierra Jade. But then we, we said we wanted to have another one. And when we, we were trying, found out I had cancer. Oh my so that was one of the things that kind of just, we thought that it was something that was, you know, maybe, maybe I was just having a hard time getting pregnant. I had ovarian cancer, which they say is a silent killer, and it truly is, because by the time everything was done, they removed one of my ovaries and an eight-and-a-half-pound tumor with it. So, uh, not cancer, cancerous anymore, but putting everybody at ease. Um, this is a good story. Yes, this is a really good story. We tried again and we were pregnant. We were probably about three months in and I had another miscarriage. That's devastating. It is absolutely horrible. And whenever you go to DNCE, which when you go, you're marked with that. And that's the same thing that they put for an abortion. So uh, they're like, oh, you had this. And I'm like, it was not my choice <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I, I am pro-choice. I am definitely not, but I couldn't do it myself. But you're marked with that then after. Well, you want to be or not. Exactly. And it looks, from a doctor's perspective, it looks like you had that. And I was like, no, the, I lost the baby. But then probably about three months after the miscarriage, we were able to conceive and we had Devlin. He's what I always term as my miracle baby because he's the one that was born and one ovary left. Um, but we had, I had the best cancer doctor ever. They wanted to go through and to do a hysterectomy at 31 years old, which was just not something that 
that I wanted to do so uh, because we still wanted to have one more so and he was phenomenal the the doctor he's like we were able to do it they showed me pictures of the thing after which was just kind of a little weird um, <laughs> but Devlin came and I always call him my miracle baby and everybody always asks the story so now everybody knows the story <laughs> um, as far as why but that's really you know we were we were done with two we only wanted to have two we got our girl and our boy and we were the perfect family the just that loss of having the two miscarriages is just something that every once in a while I get really really depressed about it because they're they were there yeah. <laughs> um so yeah they're a part of you yeah well, so I, I think that's interesting and I'll, I'll come over to you Alicia but you know no matter how often women are told that miscarriages are common it doesn't take away the personal emotional impact of having a miscarriage. Uh, yeah. I have so many girlfriends who have had miscarriages and no matter how many times, you know, somebody trying to be comforting says, you know, this is normal, it happens more than you might think, the emotional impact of knowing that you had a child growing inside of you and you wanted that child and then the child is gone is devastating that and, statistics don't right. matter and even if you didn't like you didn't know you were pregnant with the first one I noticed that you said I lost the baby mm -hmm. you, you didn't lose the baby it was not anything that you did it just happens and that's really hard because it's like there is no understand there's no reason right you know what I mean? it's not like it's not like anybody was a really terrible person and had any issues and, and was doing drugs or anything like that it just it just happens mm -hmm. would you like to dab your eyes? No, <laughs> On a, on a very emotional The Bridge Initiative podcast. <laughs> We're all sobbing. <laughs> so, Alicia, tell me about, tell us about how you became a mom. Did you want to be a mom all your life, or did you have a moment, or did you stumble so, into it? <laughs> so, much like our familial situation, it's kind of a mess. I don't want to say mess, but it, it was it's not one of those things that you plan for. Most people don't say, oh, I want to grow up and I want to marry a man who has children. <laughs> Can't wait. But, um, you know, I'm, I met Jeff and I knew that he had a daughter and, you know, he got a divorce and we went on a date and I knew without even, I had met her once as friends like a long time ago. And um, I knew that I wanted to be a part of his life, no matter what the situation was with her. And it, that gave me a lot of anxiety because you hear all these evil stepmother things, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of anxiety about how she would receive me. But she loves me very much and has no qualms in telling me that and is very open with her feelings and kind. She's so, so kind. And um, I couldn't be luckier to have a stepdaughter like her because she's just wonderful. You know, she sees, she came home from school one day and she was like, we have a new bench at school. If someone's feeling lonely, they go sit on the bench. And then someone who's not lonely goes, she's like, I always sit on the bench with people who are lonely. Aww. That's the kind of kid she is. They have that at Stella's school too. And it's just so, I, I love that. It's Yes. And, and then you just hear your kid participates in it. That just makes she's your like a heart hawk. swell. You know, she's like always got it in her periphery. Yeah. So if someone looks like they're going toward the bench, she's there. Like, I'm here, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's very sweet and very kind. And um, so we we were happy as a family of three. Mm -hmm. 
I joked, I was like, this is great, you know, she's out of diapers, she knows how to use the bathroom by herself, she can bathe herself, like, this was the perfect time for me to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> Just swooping in. I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> and then I actually had the complete opposite of probably both of your experiences. I didn't know I was pregnant until I was 12 weeks. Wow. And no idea. Like, going to work, doing my thing. I was on a form of birth control, but, like, it obviously failed. <laughs> um, and so when my doctor was, oh, yeah, you know, honey, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, this has to be a false positive. These happen all the time, right? <laughs> and I took nine pregnancy tests. <laughs> Like, the first one, yeah. well, I, I have had a form of birth control in the past that you wouldn't have, I, I've never been regular, so that you would have to take a pregnancy test every three months just, and I got into that habit, yeah. and so when I switched to the pill, I was like, I was just in a habit, oh, I haven't taken one of these in three months, I had a reminder on my phone, I took it on a Saturday morning, Elena was there, not there, but really? like in the house, <laughs> yeah. and it was pre positive, and I was like, <laughs> something is wrong. Like, this can't be right. This cannot be right. You know, this is not a part of the plan. And so I woke up Jeff, and he's like, okay, well, why don't we buy a new box, and you take one or two out of there. Just let's be sure. So I took all mine, of course. <laughs> and they were all positive. And it's kind of funny because I said, okay, let me know when it's three. Never mind. And he's like, why? I'm like, it's already pink. It's already pink. <laughs> And Bavik um, was like, you are not going to deny me yeah. <laughs> from I the did. very beginning. <laughs> and so then I made it, I called my doctor and I was like, um, I think there's something wrong with the pregnancy tests. I just want to come in. <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> and the doctor was like, honey, you're pregnant, but I'll make you an appointment. <laughs> okay. So I go in and they do a blood test and they do the heartbeat and because I had no prenatal care whatsoever, they were like, we need to do a, uh, a sonogram right now just to make sure everything's okay. And so I have photographic evidence of him like like a, three days after I found out I was pregnant, I had a sonogram and with a photo of him like a little bean. Yeah, and um, I, I love I love sonograms because people are like, oh yeah, I see it. Like you don't. You don't see it. It looks like a bean. My husband always said the same thing. He's like, I have no idea what people are looking at. I know. Like, what are like, you looking at? Is that the head? Is that the butt? Yeah, I don't there's understand. There's something there. Yeah. <laughs> you just nod knowingly like, yes, like, oh, of yeah, course I see, I see it. it. Then you go home like, I have no clue what I'm looking at. It all looks yeah. the same. So <laughs> so at that point, then it was like, okay, well, how are we, how are you going to position this? Because, you know, our parents obviously were going to be elated by we didn't know how Elena would feel, and we didn't know how her mom would feel. Um, and that is where a lot of things go sour. I have friends that they're not permitted to see their stepchildren anymore after they start having biological children because they're, quote-unquote, replacing them, which is garbage. Mm -hmm. But Elena was ecstatic. Aww. And we told her mom, like, as a courtesy, before we told Elena, we were like, look, we want to let you know this is happening. Um, and she was like, oh, that's really great. I'm really excited. And Aww, um, That's so nice. Right. And so Elena was ecstatic. She helped us pick out names. She, like, she didn't want us, I didn't want to know his gender or um, his sex, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't want to know his sex before 
I had him, I wanted to be surprised. And um, that was not going to work for all I know. <laughs> that was just not going to work for her. So um, whenever we found out, we like had them put it in an envelope and we got in the car and we went home and we opened it. And we we're like, oh, okay, it's a boy. And, you know, we had FaceTimed her when we opened it. So she saw it too. She was, she's the best big sister, but she was like all about it. Yeah. You know, and then after, after she said, you can have like four babies. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't think so. But in that time when everyone around you is, it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy. And I keep saying that word today, but like. It's the word of the day. Yeah. Dichotomy. <laughs> it's an interesting dichotomy because I was not excited when I was pregnant. I did not want to have a baby. Mm-hmm. I, now I say that I love my son. I would not undo him I didn't undo him you know I didn't go through that process but I I definitely had some reservations and I was mad like I was mad because this is not what I wanted well you use the word plan this is not part of the plan and I think that is that is so quintessential children that you have ideas about what it is that you're going to do even if you are planning part of the plan is children you know my daughter's going to eat falafel burgers from the moment she can eat food. And, you know, like... <laughs> Why falafel like, burgers? I don't know. <laughs> like falafel. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can make it at home, whatever. It's healthy. <laughs> My daughter is going to, you know, read every night and no screen time until she's 20. And, you know, there's just there all these ideas about what your plan is going to look like. And it's just, I find it interesting that you're saying, you know, that you weren't pumped right away but I think it goes back to that idea that you know you have an idea of uh, or you have a plan that you want to follow and kids are just notorious for napalming any right. sort of plan <laughs> that you might have and he, he was straight napalm like we had <laughs> like we had lots of plans and I mean I, I can't say I love my son I don't want to sound like we of course. don't love him we don't want him that's not the case at all but in in the pregnancy I struggled a lot with like this isn't what I signed up for yeah. you know and I had trouble bonding with him because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, in those first few weeks, I really, like, I don't want to say the word resented because I feel like that's too strong, but I really had mixed emotions about this whole baby thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. You know, I had um, a very easy pregnancy in terms of complications, and my birth was relatively easy, but I just, I was not pleased with what happened to my body. Mm-hmm. I did not like what happened to my body. I'm still dealing with what happened to my body two years later, and it was just really hard for me to come to terms with the fact that this train is going. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to be on it or not, you're on it, and you're going to the final destination. Yeah. <laughs> so I had trouble bonding with Mavic when he was, I mean, up until he was about six weeks. Yeah. Well, I, I have to echo your sentiments because even though we made the choice to pursue pregnancy, well, that's a very clinical way of saying it, but um, we, we, we chose to do it, so we knew it was coming. I did not like being pregnant. I, no. I um, had a, it's like you, I had a very easy pregnancy. Um, I was healthy. I had maybe one night out of all that time where I felt sick, and that was it, and it was brief. So jealous. I know. See, and I know when I say those things, people are like, you didn't enjoy your pregnancy? Yeah. And I I know how common it is to be sick, and sometimes I know people who have been sick their entire, literally their entire pregnancy up until the moment that they give birth. That's awful. That's awful. So allergic to something and yeah she had nausea like the entirety of her pregnancy from the moment her child was conceived yeah. to the moment 
she had the baby, and the moment she had the baby, she was no longer nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. So I feel bad <laughs> saying that I had an easy pregnancy, but I hated being pregnant. But it's just sort of where my life was at the time, that I was the only person in my, my friend group was, who was pregnant. And being pregnant is extremely isolating. Mm-hmm. Because you are, you know, as much as my spouse was uh, supportive and there for me and, you know, understood the only way that he could, it's still, I'm alone. My life changed immediately. Mm-hmm. He was still going out and having a good time. And, you know, we, I, I remember my birthday, we had, so my house, uh, we lived in the south side in Pittsburgh and we actually had a yard. And if anybody who doesn't know south side in Pittsburgh, there row, are no yards. There are no yards. Mm-hmm. It's row houses, but we had a pretty big backyard and a a balcony and the whole thing. So our house tended to be the place where people would congregate. And for my birthday, I I was, I think, six months-ish pregnant. And we were celebrating at my house. And it was awesome to have everybody there. But I was the one who was sitting there drinking Pellegrino. And all of my friends were, you know, eating ribs and having a blast with whatever, beer and whatever else they wanted to consume. And I just, I was angry and jealous. And at 9.30 when I was like, all right, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I'll see you all later. The party continued for all of them. And it just felt like I was was alone. There was this invisible line that divided you from everyone. Every girlfriend who I have spoken to after who was who was getting pregnant, I've talked to them about this particular thing. I've said, it's okay to be angry or resentful about the isolation that you feel when you're, when you're pregnant, because I felt it and I was not expecting that. I was not, I was not ready for how mad I would be that I was alone or mm-hmm. felt alone. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, one of many things that you learn, but you can only learn from becoming pregnant. Um, but when I had Stella, you know, everybody said, you know, what was it like when she was first, put, was it instant love? And I was like, no, <laughs> it was terror. Mine was, mine was. <laughs> so, which is awesome. Yeah. I, but I didn't feel I'm that. I'm jealous of that. I am too. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> was like it, he's slimy can you wipe him off like oh no I, mean, like, <laughs> I definitely didn't feel that but I felt like okay I didn't feel love and affection and this overwhelming like oh I, this is all the, what I've been working for and what I've been waiting for I was terrified mm-hmm. like she's out now I can't protect her I have to like have my hands on her in order to protect her and what if she doesn't latch when I breastfeed and what if what if she gets sick and you know like all of these things started going through my head that were anything but an overwhelming sense of affection and love it just I I became overwhelmed with the enormity of what was happening Um, it took me some time to feel that bond or connection with Stella it didn't take I don't think quite as long as you, but it did take time. And again, I feel like this is something that we don't talk openly enough about or at least loudly enough about. I mean, I think that privately we can be pretty open with each other, but I think as a mom looking for resources, trying to find out like what is it, what's okay, we don't talk about that it's okay if you don't immediately like latch on to that baby and, and feel that, you know, need to you know, love. But I, so tell us about what it was like for you, because we had one experience, but you had 
the other experience. So what was that like? It was instant. It honestly, like just to see my husband stay with me the whole time, obviously. And he just was, you know, very supportive the entire time. Both kids, Sierra came a day before she was due. Good and girl. I think just despite <laughs> the doctor, because he said she wouldn't. So, um, <laughs> so she came a day before, um, but she was a very long, not extremely long, uh, labor, it was, the, the pushing was two hours. So wow, that was the, the longest thing. And I was so tired and spent. But to see her was just instant. And poor girl had a cone head, and she's going to hate that I said that. But <laughs> she, <laughs> they go. They, it did, and it just went right back down to normal. But, like, for her, it was just, it was one of those things that I saw her, and everything was good. With Devlin was panic, because... When he was born, he was, I was induced because he was so big, oh, wow. and he came a week early because they were basically like, we can't let him cook anymore because he's just going to keep getting bigger, and we're like, okay. That's terrifying. It was, Sierra was nine pounds, three ounces, and Devlin was nine pounds, 11 ounces, so he couldn't go anymore. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. huge babies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when Devlin was born, he has... Um, it's an AVM, and don't ask me what it stands for, but it's on his it's on his left calf, and it scared everybody, and it scared Dan, and I saw Dan's face, in the, and Devlin wasn't put on me. They had him in what, the incubator. Is it like a... It's a mass of um, extra veins, oh, so okay. it looks like a big, yeah. giant lump. My cousin had one on his face. It actually didn't... I don't think he was born with it, though. I think it... Yeah, they later. Can, yeah, they can do that. Yeah. But he still has it. He still has it. It hasn't gone away, but it's very large. And um, at first they thought it was a heart problem. And so they were doing all these tests, but I didn't get that immediate, you know, the skin to skin. Like they, they always, they didn't do that. They, they carted him away. And I was like, I want to see him. But we didn't, I didn't, I saw him, I heard him, but it wasn't that immediate like with Sierra. Sierra yeah. was instant and it was just... Um, it was one of those those things with Devlin. Um, I am very close with him as well, but I didn't get that immediate him coming over. He's a, he's a mommy and daddy's boy, so he's a both of us. You know, and Sierra is too, so she's she's not one versus the other. But I think it was two very different experiences for both of the kids. The second one was very scary. Yeah. So, and they had known all the stuff that we had gone through too. So it was just like, let's hurry up and cart him off. And, and it, it ended up being okay, but it was very scary. Yeah. So absolutely. But you'd rather like in that moment, you would rather be prepared and be scared than, you know, for God forbid something to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this is very minor, but Mavic, had stuff in his lungs, and they were, the doctor just sat down, she's like, okay, you know, Alicia, um, just want to let you know that he may not cry when he comes out, don't worry, and when I was pushing and he was coming out, there were suddenly a whole lot of people in there, so I didn't realize how important and, and serious it was until there was a dedicated doctor for him, yeah, and there was dedicated nurses for him in the event that he started to, like, suffocate, mm -hmm. basically, but I didn't, she had presented in a way to keep me calm, which I very much appreciate. Yes. <laughs> and, and he was fine. Like, he came out and he was screaming his head off. And they're like, okay, I guess we don't have to be here. And they just, like, left. <laughs> rather they be prepared. <laughs> right. But you would rather know, like, 
this is there's, potential. There's a chance that he's not going to cry, and that's not mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anything bad. And there's a chance you may not get to hold him because they're going to whisk him away. Mm-hmm. So it was later I, I was thinking about that, like, wow, she really handled that really well because mm-hmm. I could have freaked out, you know, Yeah. if she hadn't presented it in the way that she did. But that's super minor compared to it actually happening, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like I said, I'm, I was very fortunate in my pregnancy and birth, and I, pre-pregnancy, health, all of it, and I'm thankful for that, but I also wish that I had bonded with him. I do think that part of the breastfeeding, you know, you have that feeling of pleasure, like, sorry, this is gross. You have this feeling of, like, you have good feelings that come out when you're breastfeeding. I didn't have that. I had anxiety. Me too. So... I stopped, and I think that's when we started to bond a lot better because I was just so very anxious every time, and he was eating all the time. That um, was he cluster feeding? I think is what the phrase. I, I had a girlfriend whose whose daughter had to cluster feed, and she was. I remember visiting her for the first time, and it's, I again was extremely lucky with Stella in that we she latched, we everything was good. Cluster feeding. What is cluster feeding? So, uh, so cluster feeding is when um, you know a child is a baby is not getting enough milk, um, and so they they end up eating you know um, multiple times a day. Yes. And when I visited my girlfriend, um, you know we it was my first time with her, and she had had fertility issues, so she had worked for years to become pregnant, and then she did, and she had this baby, and you know I I was really hoping that she was going to have this great initial experience and it was just so much work and when we went to see her it was just like her daughter was on her the entire time she's like I just I don't get a moment to myself she's just constantly feeding that's exactly what it was yeah like he he was constantly feeding and anytime like he was never full and so finally after about two and a half weeks I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, I feel so anxious. I don't know how much he's eating because I can't see it, obviously. And I can't take him off of me. He's constantly on me. I want to take a nap. I want to sleep, and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I was at my breaking point, and I just went and bought some formula, and it solved all the problems. Yeah. You know, he ate really well. He slept better. I slept better. And, and those feelings of anxiety that were coming out, I no longer had because I could see how much he was eating and he wasn't getting it from me. So there was no anxiety in me. And can I eat something spicy? Can I eat something? You know, and then you have all these, one of the things that I knew about, but wasn't really prepared for was how easily people that are not involved in your life at all will give you opinions about what you're doing while you're pregnant. Oh, for sure. And after. And why have children. And I, this one guy that I worked with at the time, not here, (laughs) he, he, you know, I would order lunch, and he'd be like, you're not allowed to have that. I'm like, whoa. I was like, um, my doctor said it was, I, all I wanted was fish. The entire time I was pregnant, all I wanted was sushi and fish. And I understand you're not supposed to have that, but I spoke to my doctor, and he says, if you're getting it from somewhere reputable, that you know that they, you know, it's not some cart in the heat, you know, it's, it's well cared for, and you eat it once a week, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So once a week, I would get my scallops and shrimp or whatever, hibachi and he would judge me the entire time he'd be like you can't have that you're not allowed to have that and finally 
I turned and snapped at him in front of like a lot of, no clients, but a lot of people. And I was like, are you a doctor? <laughs> are you my doctor? Yeah. No, then I don't care about your opinion. Right. You have no opinion here. I've spoken with my doctor who is a professional, who is licensed, who has experience in this. He's been a doctor for 35 years. If he says it's fine, it's fine. I'm going to go I, with that. And I no longer need your opinion. Yeah. Because there are so many things that you're not, quote unquote, not supposed to eat while you're pregnant that you would be eating bread and butter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, and, and let's just let's just be clear. I think that being careful with your pregnancy should be your number one priority. Right. I think you should take care of your body. But, you know, my grandparents' generation, they were smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey. And <laughs> they had smaller babies, but they had healthy babies. And I think that we're at a good place with, you know, self-care and taking, taking care of our bodies while we're pregnant particularly. But, again, your doctor is the one. As it's between as you as and your doctor and your significant other. As long as you talk to your doctor and you say, this is what I'm really craving. And mm -hmm. it's like, I can't sleep because all I want is sushi. And he says it's okay once a week as long as it's obviously from a reputable place and you ate there before when you were pregnant, before you were pregnant and you, and you weren't sick, then it's fine. And I had a couple other things and I wanted, and he, I mean, he is even one of the doctors, and this is going to be controversial, that said you can have one glass of wine once a month mm -hmm. if that's what you want. And my significant other and I decided that while we agreed with his advice, we did not want to do that sure. because we didn't, we didn't want to be in a position where if they said, did you have anything to drink? Because they, I mean, they ask you those things. Mm -hmm. when, when you're under medication in the hospital, they ask you those things mm -hmm. in a way to, they're just doing their jobs. They're reporters for CPS, so they have to find people that are, you know, refusing to get medical care or whatever. That's their job to report that so that the baby can be cared for. But they also, if you say, yes, I had a glass of wine, you're going to get reported. Yeah. <laughs> so we just didn't want to deal with any of that at all yeah. and say... We're not having wine. Yeah. It just felt like a whole bag of worms. Yeah. So um, it's a it's a personal choice. And again, it's between you, your significant other, and your doctor. I uh, am glad you brought up work. So let's I was gonna let's just transition <laughs> to the work topic, the working mom topic. What was it like, Keely, for you to be pregnant and working full time? What's it been like to be a full time mom and a full time employee? Like what what's that experience been like for you? It had its up and ups and downs. Um, one of the things that when I was pregnant with Sierra, when I when I had her, when I was coming back, I only took six weeks. So that for, with both kids, um, unfortunately, because if you don't, you don't get paid. So <laughs> that's kind of one of the the bad things is you only get a certain amount of time off that's paid if you you have twelve weeks. FMLA, but six weeks of that would have been unpaid. Yeah, I, I don't think enough women know this. Yes. More women who are entering childbearing years need to understand what the maternity leave policy for the United States actually is. And it's not that you're guaranteed your job. Correct. It's, it is, when you go through it, it is terrifying. Shocking. Yes. How, I don't want to say it's anti-family, but it's feels like it when you're in the middle of it all that it's anti especially when you hear about other countries that offer you three months paid leave full pay full pay, full pay. for you and your spouse like it's just shocking to me that yeah. we are at this place still in our country yeah and they consider it short-term disability yes it's not they, even it's not even maternity no leave. yeah it's considered 
a short-term disability. So whenever you go through and you actually have your child, you're considered on short-term disability, which means that generally you're at, depending on which uh, company that you work for, it's 70% to 60% of your pay right. that you're getting during that, t mm -hmm. that first six weeks. And if you, oh, by the way, if your doctor says you're healthy enough to go back to work, yeah. you still have the extra six weeks that you could potentially take off, you're but you're not paid. getting paid for that. Yeah. But they can't, they cannot change your job or your uh, responsibilities in that 12-week span. But anything after that 12 weeks, you're not guaranteed your job. So if you do decide to go longer than 12 weeks, you basically can't, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but there are ways around that, you know. When I was on maternity leave, I was forced to come in and reapply for my job. Yeah. So, yeah, and it depends on, it depends on what type of job you have, too. So that, that's another, that's a very yeah. good point. Yeah, they forced me to reapply for my job and then basically gave me crap because I took all 12 weeks, even right. unpaid. They gave me a hard time about how they were save, saving a spot, quote unquote, saving a spot for me. And I was like, no, you legally have, have to. to. Yes. You're not doing me a favor. Like, that's the law. Mm -hmm. And you know, I came back and I'm like, oh, I mean, I get so much time off. I really didn't. No. No. <laughs> no. I went no. back at 10 weeks and I, thankfully I had my mother-in-law. She stayed with us. Um, I had Stella in September. She stayed with us through the holidays. And so she, Stella didn't go to daycare until January after she was born. And thank God, because at 10 weeks, when I went back to work, she was so tiny. My kids were six seven weeks old when they went to They're daycare. They're so little. Yep. Yeah. It's it's a necessary evil that yes. has to be done, especially with us. We don't have both sets of our parents worked, and my parents live an hour away. So it's not like it was something that, you know, we could just say, hey, guys, can you help us out with this? And it just wasn't an option. So for us, we had to do daycare. And we fell into a wonderful daycare. So, like, we, we became friends, and we're still friends. Um, with a director at the daycare, and just everything went really well with that. Guaranteed, Sierra was very sick a lot of times because of all of the exposure and being so young. Yeah. But with both of them being so big when they were born and going into that, they had a little bit more of an advantage than something that would have been like a six-pound baby being put into daycare for the first time or even smaller. Uh, so, you know, they were both over 10 pounds by the time they went into daycare. Mm -hmm. So at least, you know, they had that little bit of an advantage. So, but it is kind of scary. It to, is so scary. And I want to talk about daycare a little bit more because, you know, I, I actually had listened to another podcast. I'm going to do a little plug if everybody's okay with it for yes, um, Skimmed from the Couch. They interviewed a woman and I, her name escapes me. I, I will try to find out and maybe we can add it to a blog post. But um, they were interviewing a woman from the financial services industry about decisions around whether or not a woman is going to return to work or stay home because of the cost of daycare. So I, we could do a whole other podcast about how expensive daycare is, maternity leave and all that. I don't, <laughs> gripping our foreheads in frustration. I just feel like there's there again, there is not enough of a conversation around what it actually means long term for a woman to choose to stay home because quote unquote, 
her salary at the time barely covers daycare. So I've heard this conversation and I had this conversation with my spouse at the time and it was a brief one because we both agreed ultimately that I was going back to work, which was my personal goal. I, I, I should say my professional goal. I wanted to continue working and he wholeheartedly supported that decision. But I know lots of women who have the conversation around whether or not to go back to work and because her male counterpart, her significant other, makes more money generally at that stage in life, which that's another whole podcast, <laughs> but because that the man in the relationship tends to make more money, they choose together to have the wife stay home. So what ends up happening that I don't think a lot of people, they don't complete that thought. They don't go all the way to the end of what that means. The, the short-term idea is, well, my salary is X, you know, daycare costs Y, it doesn't add up. Like, it just doesn't add up. I should stay home. I get the extra added benefit of being with my kid. That's wonderful when, you know, he or she is moving into kindergarten or preschool. That's when I will come back to work. And I think the idea is, I'll just pick right back up where I left off, and I'm going to go right back in. And that's not the reality. You miss out on opportunities for advancement, for salary negotiations, for reviews where you get merit increases, and you miss out on the um, contributions to your 401k plan or, or retirement plan uh, that you have during that period of time. So mm -hmm. not only are you behind just in terms of your professional growth, you're literally now behind financially even more than you were before you took maternity leave. Right, and we just had a session at our conference that yes. talked about this, and um, I can't remember exactly which session it was, but she was talking about how, I want to say it's like 60 or 70% of women that go back into the workforce after taking time off to raise their children end up taking a pay decrease. Yes, not, just a, not just a lateral. It's not a lateral move. It's, it's not, actually you, didn't, behind. you didn't actually miss out on just, just that time you're actually taking a pay cut yeah. to go back to work. And I think that that's something that, and it's also difficult to have that conversation, well, why did you take five years off? Mm -hmm. Well, are you planning on having any more children? Right. Which they're not allowed to ask. Right. And so then it's sort of answering the question that no one's allowed to ask you, are you reliable? Mm -hmm. Basically, mm -hmm. it turns into that, which is really unfair, mm -hmm. but it's, it's just a really difficult thing. I feel like we're, I'm very fortunate, and we're very fortunate to work in a place where it's, a, I don't want to say approved, but like, there's no shame in, in having a child, taking some time off to have a child, and then coming back. There's no, like, punishment, either above the above the board or below the board, and I just really wish that I had worked here whenever I had Maybeck, because my life would have been a lot easier, yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to come back to work. Mm -hmm. I did not want to stay home. And we waited 18 months to get Mavic into a daycare. They all had wait lists for 18 months. Wow. So it was, I'm thankful that my mom was able to watch him because I would not have been able to come back to work. Right. You know, and I didn't, I had no concept of daycare wait lists. I was like, that's ridiculous. Don't they just make more daycares? Right. <laughs> yeah, to fill the gap. Like, there, there's a need. It's like supply yeah. and demand. Obviously, there's going to be a demand, so give us the supply. And that's just not the way it works. Right. And, I mean, there were openings at some daycares, but they were exorbitantly priced. Like, I yeah. I pay a lot of money for the daycare we're in, and the daycare we're in is great, and they teach me a lot of things. But it is nowhere near as expensive as some of the places we toured that have spaces. Yeah. And that's why they had spaces, because right. nobody could afford to send their kids there. Right. You know, not 
independently wealthy. Yeah. So um, personally, I I really struggled with it because you know we were sort of in a situation we were cobbling together childcare until we could get him into this daycare. And then once he was in the daycare, he was sick so much because he had not been exposed to anything. I felt terrible because I started here. I I was here for a while, but I had to keep taking days off because he was so sick. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd have to work from home and I I just, it just wasn't a great situation. So I just think it's a really tumultuous time. And I think the female in the relationship, conscious or not, takes on that stress Mm -hmm. and takes on that anxiety about, well, what daycare are we going to get him into? And then, you know, how much is it going to cost and how are we going to pay for that? Totally agree with you on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas, like, your spouse or partner is, you know, like, Jeff was just like, well, we'll get him into a daycare. Like, (laughs) you know, and you're just like, okay. (laughs) You don't just get to snap your fingers and make it happen. Yeah, it's not like that. And so it, it was really stressful. You know, I was, as we're touring these daycares, I'm thinking about the cost and like how long it's going to take me to get him there because I'm the one that drops him off and picks him up. And, you know, it's it's just a lot of additional stress on top of the stress of working. And for me, I basically run our household, too. So I'm I'm wearing four hats. At this and let's point. let's not forget that you just in some cases had major surgery because you've had a Mm C-section, like major surgery. You're dealing with emotional changes. Um, You're dealing with changes to your body that you had no control over. There's just this whole cadre of things that is going on for you that you're not supposed to show because you're back at it now, you know. I had the baby. Um, Everything's everything's good, and I'm, I'm marching along, and... It is no wonder to me that so many women battle postpartum depression mm-hmm. and don't talk about it because, I, what's the phrase? I'm going to see if I can get this right. You're supposed to parent like you don't work and work like you're not a parent. You're, you're supposed to be there, show up like nothing's changed. And you're supposed to be all in on your parenting side, too. Like, somehow, you're supposed to be all things to everybody. And don't mind the fact that you are falling deeper and deeper into a dark cavern of depression. To, to ignore that. That's no big deal. That'll go away eventually when they, you know, go to preschool right. or I mean, whatever. That's the thing, though, is I am, thankfully, I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't suffer from PTS or post-traumatic stress disorder or, you know, postpartum, basically PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I was depressed, though, about the way I looked and the way my body had changed and I didn't have any of the symptoms of postpartum, but I think it's a natural state to to mourn yes. the loss of the baby inside of you, but also mourn the loss of the body that you had. If, and the life that you had. And the life that you had. For and sure. Sleeping. <laughs> and mourn the loss yeah, of sleeping. rest. <laughs> like, I yeah. think that it's just, you. that is a natural place for you to be. And I love that they have so much more light shined on postpartum depression but I also feel like there's this 50s-esque mindset that you that you just mentioned like oh just fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. that's not gonna work yeah you know and frankly I have put my physical goals on hold because I'm holding down everything else Mm -hmm. and I just don't have the time to do that and that's not to say that Jeff doesn't pull his weight because he 100% does Mm -hmm. there's just a lot involved in having an infant and then a toddler yeah And it's a lot of work. And, you know, it's almost, I was talking to my friend yesterday and she said, okay, well, what's the, what's the plan? Like, how long is he in daycare? And then when does he go to kindergarten or preschool? I was like, I, 
You're overwhelming me. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten that far. These two. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll talk to the daycare. I don't know. So it's just a, there's a lot of stuff that you, if you're not in that position, you don't think about how stressful it is and how much work it is to successfully, quote unquote, do it and to parent, but also to work and also if you have other kids, get them to practice and get them to this and get them to that and make sure that they don't feel left out. Um, you know, I feel like this all kind of goes back to a fundamental thing that it seems so simple, but it seems to relate to all of these things, which is that you need to communicate, right? So um, going back to the idea that, you know, a lot of women choose not to go back to the workforce because of the level that they're at uh, in their career. You've got to communicate your your professional goals to your significant other and express why it's important for you to go back to work or that you don't want to go back to work. And how do we make that how do we make that happen so that we can be a successful unit? You have to be open about that, and you have to be open about when you're struggling and when you're having trouble, why you're having trouble, and and maybe you can't pinpoint exactly what, but just at least being able to say, I'm struggling right now. I, I I need to go for a walk. I need to, I just need a little time. You know, having a partner that you can communicate with and, and express that with, I think is so ultra critical. And having an employer that you can communicate that with, like, you know, you, you've mentioned how lucky we are to work here. And when you first started, Mavic was ill and you had to work from home. You got to work from home. Like, that is so unusual, and in 2019, it's still unusual, and that's another reason why I feel lucky to be where we're at. And not to feel guilty about working from home, because that's the the big thing, because a lot of companies will allow you to do the work from home, but then they guilt you, and and they're they're like, do you really have to? Is is so-and-so really sick? Do you really have something that you're doing that Are you sure you can get everything done from home? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point where I would... I would say to my manager, hey, you know, um, t- I'm taking my son to the doctor. Okay, well, you let me know if you need to work from home how many days. It was not a big deal. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a big deal because I felt like I felt guilt. Mm-hmm. But they were very, very open about the fact that you need a work-life balance. And if you need to work from home to take care of your children, that is what you need to do. And it is that simple. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. And I I also feel that that made me a more loyal employee. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm through, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> so um, I think that that, not only is that good business practice in terms of keeping your, your employees happy, but it also breeds loyalty. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really important. Well, it's amazing how just doing the right thing <laughs> benefits everybody the employee and the employer. That's mm-hmm. kind of shocking. So any last thoughts? I was going to say one more thing. Yes. When you were talking about communicating with your partner and with your employer about your plan, I would also mention how important that is so that you don't let any resentment fester. Absolutely. And so that, so that whenever your kids go to school, you don't feel like everyone's left you behind. I would say that that communication is huge in a respectful preemptive approach as opposed to I resent you and now can't like you're breathing in my presence and I can't be around you. I know. So, <laughs> so well, it's, yeah, this goes, it's, so this goes to a point that I've made with friends and uh, on my personal blog about prioritization. And I hear you in the toddler stage, how um, difficult it is to prioritize yourself. Mm-hmm. 
I, I was definitely at that stage and my spouse recognized it and called it out and he was able to work with me to like, because I, I was like, no, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> we don't fight. So everything's good. Right. And our kid is healthy and happy and that should be enough. And he recognized that it wasn't enough. And he basically called me out on it and said, we need to rethink this. We need to, you know, let's talk. And we talked and we had a really good conversation. And I, I felt like we were finally at the point where I could say, all right, this is what I need to put myself first. And I need to put myself first so that I can be a whole person for you, CJ. And then it's us. It's prioritizing our relationship and saying it's important for me and you to be just me and you outside of being parents to remember who we are together. And then comes Stella. Because mm -hmm. if I'm solid, then we're solid as a couple, that, and we're solid as a couple, then she's got all the support that she needs because there aren't cracks in the foundation. And it's really, really hard between a toddler and work and, you know, not toddler kids and other family members and everything else that's pushing and pulling and all the directions that you go in to say, you know what, I need a bath or I need a walk, or I need a yoga session, or whatever it is, but I find it to be so incredibly important to, to I, I'm not going to use the word self, or the phrase self-care, but there it is, um, to care for yourself enough that you can prioritize yourself, at least sometimes right. during the week. And in that, in that session at conference, they also talked about how empty nesters are divorcing because they don't have that foundation anymore. With each other. They didn't take care of their relationship and themselves, and they don't have that foundation anymore. So when the, yeah. when the babies fly out of the nest, why are we together? Right. And what do we so, have in common? Yeah. So I think it's really important to care about yourself, to care about your partner, to put those things as a priority, to put your relationship as a priority on the same level as your relationship with your children. Yes. Not above, not below, but on the same level. And if that means you go on a date night every two weeks, you go on a date night every two weeks. Right. If that means that grandma takes your kids to church while you go and have brunch, if that's not your thing, or yes. um, whatever, whatever it is, so that you can have time together to keep that strength. Yeah, a girlfriend of mine used the phrase, pursue your relationship. Mm -hmm. like, I, I love that you pursue your relationship, and that's true. He means everything to me. Without him, this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to both of us that um, we pursue our relationship outside of Stella. She's not our identity. She is part of us. I love Stella. Stella asks me often, um, although she's kind of gotten the hint now, but she would ask if she could have a brother or sister, and that's just not in our plan. And she learned at school that the triangle is the strongest shape in nature. And she said that to me when she's like, you know what, mommy, there are three of us and the triangle is the strongest shape in nature. So I think we're perfect. And I was like, I love you so much. I have just a really fantastic kid uh, who is very open and um, anyway, is very supportive. I love her to death. All right, ladies. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation today. Same. Is there is there anything else that you know, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but is there any other, anything else you wanted to talk about today that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, so I just, I just want to put out there that, um, you know, women are clearly extremely powerful beings, right? Like, we, we grow life, and, you know, I read recently um, something about how in pregnancy, women are shapeshifters, which I love, you know, as a, 
as a fan of um, Marvel and DC Comics, <laughs> yes. it's great to hear about shapeshifters. But women are shapeshifters. Their belly's waxing like the moon. Um, and it's actually really interesting. There have been studies that have shown that we actually hold on to our children's cells, their, their stem cells, and they the stem cells will actually go to areas that have been hurt or injured or areas that are sick for even decades after after giving birth. So being a mom is such a such a special thing. And I'm privileged to have that honor. And I'm privileged to work with two really powerful moms. So thank you. Thank you. There was one other thing that I wanted to say. And um, I love that quote. As a sci-fi fantasy reader, (laughs) I'm into the shapeshifter. That totally gives me a new vibe in terms of my post-baby body. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, shapeshifter. (laughs) I, I want to say that sometimes it's really hard to have a baby. And sometimes having a baby biologically is not in the cards for you. And if that is the reality for you, then we are with you. And that be a mother however you can in in the instance that you can, however it works. Be a great aunt, like the best aunt ever, Mm -hmm. if that's what you want. There is no requirement for you to be a mother. We all enjoy it. Mostly me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's a a daily battle for me. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I... I love my children, and I know that we all love our children very, very much, but there is no rule that says that you have to have kids. There is no rule that says you have Amen. to be yes. a mother to um, be a functioning female and be a human being. complete woman. Yes. I, frankly, never wanted to have children. I'm thankful that I that I did, but, like, I would have been fine without. <laughs> so I think that you should do you. Whatever it is, whatever is going to work best for you to fulfill your life goals, you should do that. And if that means having kids, you should do it if you can, if you're blessed enough to be able to. If you can't have kids, you should try to adopt or whatever is going to make that work for you. Um, I know how expensive those things are, so if that's not in the cards for you, then you should definitely be the best aunt ever or get lots of dogs or whatever <laughs> Whatever it fills you with joy, sparks your joy. Sparking joy. Um, but if you don't want to be a mom, don't let anyone tell you you need to be a mom. Amen. I cannot echo that enough. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It's your choice. That's yes. right. Yeah, I mean, I I do have friends that struggled with pregnancy for a long time, and then I have friends that have so many kids, I can't remember their names. (laughs) (laughs) Motherhood is a choice, and you shouldn't let anyone push you into it. Either way. Agreed. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so much for talking to me today. I I really enjoyed our conversation, even though I cried a lot. So um, I really appreciate the openness we had today and uh, the comfortability. We talked about some really heavy, hard things today, and I'm, I really appreciate that we had the opportunity to do that. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing your stories, and I'm just I'm really appreciative to have our friendship and that we can have this conversation. Same. Thank, thank you, Alicia. Thank, thank you thank so you. much. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> have a great day. Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is A Little Louder Now by The Bridge Initiative. Thanks to everyone for this great conversation. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great women from financial services talking about a variety of topics. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have any questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. Email us at bridge at fi360.com and connect with us on Twitter at FI360Bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now.